Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Christ Community features life-giving, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible. If you would like more information about CCC, you can visit our website at cccspringfield.org. We trust these messages will challenge and encourage you in being a faithful follower of Christ. So in the first three chapters of Romans, we read about the Apostle Paul conveying the idea that all humans are culpable when it comes to sin, and that we all will experience the consequences of that. In fact, he talks about the wrath of God. That's part of the consequences. And he makes the case, and this is all just in in terms of introduction, he makes the case that No one can claim innocence because nobody can plead ignorance. The evidence of God is so plain to see, ignorance is not an excuse. Every human being benefits from a moral conscience and living in a world that God has made with his self-manifestation of creation. But, Man denies this. Man denies God's authorship. And we saw that it even gets to a point where man even denies the existence of the physical world. Seems weird, but that's where we're at. So obviously they deny God's existence as well. But this doesn't change that we still live in this world. We live in this world that has a a complexity and, and an order to it, right? And we still live in this world that as human beings, we have this sense of morality. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but we have a sense that there's, that there's right and wrong. Even atheists have a sense of, of morality when it comes to certain things because they will rail against certain cultural mores. And so that's an indication that you know, we're more than just machines. We have this moral conscience within us. Uh, David sang, the heavens declare the glory of God, the, ski, uh, the skies, <laughs> the skis, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And we talked about this last week, but it bears repeating that the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 5.97 billion trillion metric uh, tons and hangs unsupported in space. It spins at a thousand miles per hour and traverses through space around the sun at a speed of a thousand miles per minute in an orbit of 580 million miles long. How's that possible? Well, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The witness to God is so abundantly clear that Paul says humans are fools to deny it. And the condemnation upon humans 
is because of their rejection against the light that they have. Right? Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God is discoverable and knowable from the revelation of creation and this moral conscience. Now, theologians call this general revelation. So we know that God exists. We know that he's powerful because of these things that Paul has pointed out. But there's also, it's a, it's a theological term. Uh, it's, this term is not in the Bible, but theologians refer to something called also special revelation, that there are specific propositions we know about God because of his revealed word and because of the person of Christ. So you have the general revelation in nature and conscience, and then you have special revelation. Now, although man is innately conscious of God's existence and power, he's also innately inclined to reject that knowledge. The natural tendency of unregenerate man, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, is to proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Parents of small children know this innately because what will happen is that when our child is confronted with an injunction in which they have not followed, they're always going to claim ignorance. I didn't know. You never told me. Common retorts, right? When I used to be in management, there was a, you know, I would constantly get this from employees to where I would have to have what were called action plans that I would write out specific things I needed them to do. They would have to sign it so that I could confirm, no, I... I did tell you, because remember, you signed this that said you understood what you were to do. I mean, even adults do this same thing, right? And it's ra it would be rather weird for you to hear from your child, instead of that, to say, um, you know what, I failed to follow through with what you told me, and I repent from my disobedience. Have you ever heard that from a child? No. Adults display the same child foolishness by claiming ignorance. So God may rightly visit man with wrath because they have rejected the knowledge of God that was open to them. Not accepting responsibility is one of the chief characteristics of sin. And we all have it, right? So please, if you are used to not admitting that you've sinned, be honest with yourself that we all do this. And hopefully as we mature, we do less of it and we operate in humility instead of this arrogance and blaming. What this is, it's really a, a declaration this blaming and not taking responsibility. It's a declaration that we are morally autonomous. In other words, we're not under an authority, especially God. 
And it's one of the reasons Paul says men in their sin have foolish hearts and are darkened because they will not face truth. And you know where you see this? You see this in marriage, right? When a couple is in crisis, one or both will blame the other. Now, I know it's never been in your marriage, but you know people like that, right? I was hoping that would get a laugh, but that hit apparently a nerve that we are, it's just too close. I get it. But we all do this, right? We'll blame. But it gets to a point when a marriage is in trouble, you know, you'll hear things like, um, we should have never been married. We're better apart. I don't love you anymore. All of these are ways to weave a narrative that repudiates the covenant that they made with God. Instead of accepting marriage as a privilege and responsibility to model the grace and forgiveness and love of God, which is what it's supposed to do. It is as old as the Garden of Eden when Adam said to God, but you made the woman who blah, 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 blah. Blame, right? But marriage is still, though fractured by sin, has this overarching biblical metaphor through which God is to be reflected in the relationship that even though in our frailties and in our sin, we're still in it. We're still loving. We're still, we're still forgiving, just like God does with us all the time. And that's what we're to display to the world, to our children. When we make a spouse or marriage an idol, we use them to demand our personal needs be met instead of reflecting God's grace and forgiveness to our spouse and entrusting our needs to God. Now, obviously, there's a conversation we can have about unmet needs, but it's always within the context of honoring the covenant. And listen, our relationship with God works much the same way. Instead of being grateful to God, humans blame. And of course, this leads to not honoring, not thanking. There's only acceptance of a narrative where we share little or no blame when it comes to God. But all of us live with the consequences, right, of this pride and, the, and foolishness and sin. And if you doubt that, just look in a mirror. Spurgeon said this, I cannot say anything much worse of a man than that he is not thankful to those who have been his benefactors. And when you say that he is not thankful to God, you have said about the worst thing you can say of him. David admonishes us, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Again, Paul makes clear it's not as if people have misunderstood who God is. It was quite the opposite. They understood. They know him, but they refuse to honor him as God. Mankind naturally refuses to accept 
any narrative that faces them with the culpability of sin. Because when I see this God for who he is and I see this morality that I'm created with, I'm, you know, I'm going to also have to understand that there are imperatives to follow that. I, I don't want to live under that. Paul says the human trajectory of sin leads to futile thinking, darkening of hearts, but he was, the immediate direct results are not honoring God and being unthankful. So reality faces us with God, gracious, awesome, sovereign God. But sin covers up the truth, leads to unbelief, leads to ingratitude. And once reality is not... Uh, is denied, then a narrative is spun that fails to thank God, that fails to see the good that God has done for man, even in the weather, right? I mean, we read in Matthew, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. All men experience the goodness of God with the sun, with the rain. Paul said in Lystra, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. People receive the good things of God, they'll gladly receive the rains, but they'll deny that God is the author. Again, I'm going to restate one of the points I've been hammering. This is not unfortunate ignorance. This is culpable rebellion. And Paul says there will be Futile thinking and foolish, dark hearts. Heart is a comprehensive term. It doesn't just mean the organ within us, but it's really all of man's faculties. The stuff that, on the inside, that creates who we are on the outside. So their moral judgment was darkened, their intellect, their reasoning also suffered, and Paul says, they're fools. And foolish means without understanding, senseless. We might even say without common sense. Not only do they, do they deny God, but as I said earlier, they even deny the, the physical, material world, which is pretty weird. And then they'll deny now the, the body and what it means. What for centuries you just figured the body was the body and, and it gave us information about who we are. Not anymore, no. You know why? Because now humans have set themselves up on the throne, and now what I think, what I feel, that is what's right and true. I am the arbiter of truth. I determine what is right. So any information I get in the natural world doesn't mean anything. It's what I feel. It's what I think. That's the plumb line of truth. But that's futile. That means useless, worthless. 
How can we prosper as a society when people think this way? We cannot. Now listen, I am not saying be a jerk towards those who think this way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying throw a Bible in their face and tell them they have to change. That's not going to work, and you know it. But I also have to speak truth about this thinking. You cannot prosper this way. There's a story of the Vance family that was disgusted with the world during COVID. They got so disgusted, they decided they would live on their own, off the grid. They told their family, they said they were nuts. Family said they were nuts. Told their friends, they said, you, you can't do this without making proper provi provisions, and they didn't listen. So they go into the Colorado mountains during winter without all the provisions that they needed. And you can probably guess what happened. All three were found dead of malnutrition and exposure. They were victims of their own foolishness. Now, not that going and living in the Colorado mountains is foolish, but doing that without making any provisions is foolish. And when mankind seeks to live independent of God, their foolishness is powerless without the provisions to deal with the reality of the world that we live in, the moral world. Donald Gray Barnhouse made this potent observation. He said, will God give man brains to see these things? And will man then fail to exercise his will toward that God? The sorrowful answer is that both of these things are true. God will give a man brains to smelt iron and make a hammerhead and nails. God will grow a tree and give man strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hand and let man drive nails through it and place him on a cross in the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Once a man rejects the truth of God in Jesus, he will fall for anything foolish. And the greatest fool in the world is the person who exchanges God's wisdom and light for man's wisdom of deceit and darkness. And the ultimate irony in this is humanity's refusal to glorify the true God and then to turn to idols. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, it didn't make sense to Isaiah, who wrote about this. He called it insane and stupidity. I mean, people view the worship of idols as helpful, and Isaiah said, that, that's going to bring him shame. And, and the people who make the idols are men who have just basic human needs. In other words, they're mortal. How can the mortal create the immortal? It makes no sense. A carpenter has to fashion an idol using human tools that are made from like a tree, things that God made. 
And now he's wanting to make an idol to save them? And they pray to these idols? They are blind and foolish. And part of what God has done in that is the same thing that we see in Romans 1, is that part of the wrath and the consequence is that God lets them experience the stupidity of that thinking and lets them continue. You know, it's kind of like you make your own bed, you're going to have to sleep in it. The word for fools is the verb marano. But before we get to that, let's read about it in Isaiah 44. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. So you're dealing with mortal human beings trying to create an immortal. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with his planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Where's that rain come from? Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the, uh, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? A scathing commentary on idols. And Paul says, they're foolish. And he uses a word from which we get our word, moron. And in Greek society, someone was a moron because of volitional stupidity. It's not that they didn't have a high IQ, but they choose to be stupid. It's not only impacted them intellectually, but they experience a degraded moral condition. In other words, this mind that shoves God out is incapacitated in discerning truth and falsehood between right and wrong, between the significant and trivial, between the, the truly beautiful and the grotesque, or between the temporary and the eternal. Dallas Willard wrote about a Harvard professor 
who was upset to see the difference between the intellect and the character of students. And he writes of a conversation one Harvard professor had with a student. And the student said, I've been taking all these philosophy courses, and we talk about what's true, what's important, what's good. Well, how do you teach people to be good? What's the point of knowing good if you don't keep trying to become a good person? So she sees all around her people failing to be good, but talking a good game. Where does this chasm lead? How does a man combat the character problem without God? What is the answer today? Well, what is the answer for about anything that modern man has today? You know what it is? Technology. Technology. Modern society is looking for new, innovative ways to increase our character, and the answer, technology. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, whose company sells the Oculus VR headset. Now listen, I'm not saying the Oculus VR headset is evil, but they're making an idol here. Listen. Uh, says of VR, one of the most powerful features of VR is empathy. By cultivating empathy, VR can raise awareness and help us see what's happening in different parts of the world. The hope and promise of VR is that one day everyone will call it an empathy machine. By creating an immersive and interactive virtual environment, a VR headset can quite literally put you in somebody else's shoes. Text, image, or video offers only partial views of a person's life. With VR, you can get inside their head. And this high-fidelity simulation, the argument goes, will make us better people by heightening our sensitivity to the suffering of others. It will make us more compassionate, more connected, and ultimately more human. And in the word of a VR artist, Chris Milk, by lending you the eyes and ears of someone suffering, tech helps you to develop a greater sense of responsibility for them. You feel compelled to act. There is connectivity, not merely as a technical concept, but a moral one, end quote. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. And then you have churches getting on the VR train as a replacement for embodied worship. Makes my head spin. Paul summarizes man's downward path this way. First, there is worthless thinking. Then there is moral insensitivity. And then religious stupidity or idol worship. Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Richard Lentz wrote in his work, Identity and Idolatry, I quote, believing something false about God is dangerous, but not nearly as dangerous as worshiping something other than him, end quote. A chief area of concern for believers, I think, is worshiping the God as he has revealed himself instead of 
creating some kind of image in our own head. We can all be guilty of this. We want God to be something different than he is. It's a problem with any religious institution. But the fact is, we all worship something. If it's not God, it'll be either ourselves or some other self-made God. Paul says the creature is worshipped rather than the creator. The corruptible instead of the incorruptible. The temporal instead of the eternal. The earthly, fleshly animal instead of the heavenly creator. And so the natural trend of man-made religion is not upward, but it's downward. And no matter how much man tries, his repudiation of God doesn't eradicate the world that we live in, this moral world created by God. Somebody said, men who reject God are like a class of students who have murdered the teacher and then sit down to have a discussion about proper manners in the classroom. Omar Bradley said, the world has achieved brilliance without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. Plato noted, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. One of the Russian cosmonauts went into space, came back, and said, some people said God is out there. Well, I looked all around, and I didn't see any God out there. Ruth Graham commented on this and said he looked in the wrong place. If he had stepped outside the spaceship without his spacesuit on, he would have met God very quickly. Birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures made the idol list. Among the birds worshipped in the ancient world were the eagle in Rome and the stork and hawk in Egypt. And this was why eagles were not put up for public displays by the Jews because they so vehemently opposed their being displayed as an idol in their culture. Egyptians also worshipped bulls, cats, cows, hippos, wolves. And who forget the Israelites creating what? A golden calf. Other ancient idols were in the form of mice, rats, elephants, crocodiles, monkeys, the sun and the moon. Modern Hindus uh, refuse to kill or harm most animals and insects because they see them as maybe some kind of being being transmigrating from one level of karma to another. Now listen. I'm assuming most of us here are non-Hindus. You might be feeling pretty smug about yourself that I don't have idols. Well, and I don't worship animals. Consider this. In America, $100 billion is spent on pets. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's all idol worship, but that's a lot of money. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, answers what an idol is, and he says this. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek uh, to give you what only God can give you. With that definition, it's easy to see how modern man makes idols of money, material things, a job, physical appearance, obsession with entertainment, 
sex, comfort, influence, fame. And maybe one of the biggest now is identity. Identity. Uh, I mean, when we make our idol or our, uh, our image, our, our self-image, our identity contingent upon social media positions or achievements, how is that different than making an idol? Or consider race, ethnicity, gender, education, politics, economic status used to define different cultural ideologies. And Christians are constantly tempted to gravitate towards those. And I'm not saying you can't have a position on it, but it's a competing ideology for our identity instead of Christ. I mean, why else do we have division in the body of Christ about these secondary issues? It's no longer Christ is our identity. It's I identify with this group or, or that group, or, and it's an idol. Paul reminds us, first and foremost, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Our identity is as a child of God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, one might be tempted to condemn all the cultural ways that people make idols. One might be tempted to, you know, be hypercritical of every cultural influence, every artistic expression. Let me suggest a better way. And I'm not saying you can't think critically about those things. But when my wife used to work at a bank, you know how they were taught to know a counterfeit? Study the real thing. When you know a real dollar bill, you can spot the counterfeit. So let us then take our time in drawing near, loving the beauty and sovereignty of Jesus Christ and of his work in nature and grow intimate with him, loving him, worshiping him. And as we do, these idols will become far less attractive. Speaking of God's work in nature, I was encouraged by the testimony of Francis Collins, researcher, physician, well-respected in the scientific community. He headed up the Human Genome Project, served as the director of the National Institute of Health. In 2007, he also wrote a New York Times best-selling book, The Language of God, that weaves together his story as a world-renowned scientist and his journey from atheist to then becoming a believer in Christ. Collins is still thoroughly committed to a rational inquiry and the scientific method, but God used people and nature to lead Collins to Christ. As a gifted medical student, Collins thought it was convenient to have to deal, uh, to not have to deal with God, to shove God out of the picture. But then after one of his patients told Collins about her faith, 
She asked him this. This is a pretty good opening question to ask anybody. What do you believe? What do you believe? And in Collins' own words, I stuttered and stammered and felt the color rising in my, my face, and I said, well, I don't think I believe in anything. But that suddenly seemed like a very thin answer, and it was very unsettling. Then after a long period of researching, um, including grilling a pastor, reading C.S. Lewis, Collins finally came to Christ after watching the beauty of creation. This is his description in his own words. I had to make a choice. A full year had passed since I decided to believe in some sort of God, and now I was being called to account. On a beautiful fall day, as I was hiking in the Cascade Mountains during my first trip west of the Mississippi, the majesty and beauty of God's creation overwhelmed my resistance. As I rounded a corner and saw a beautiful and unexpected frozen waterfall hundreds of feet high, I knew the search was over. The next morning, I knelt in the dewy grass as the sun rose and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Unquote. That's the way God designed it. That's a man who is being honest about where it leads. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope today's message gives you encouragement and hope. If you would like more information about the church, you can go to cccspringfield.org.